I'm on now. Good morning. It's good to see everybody here. Man, I'm excited for today. Today we begin a new series, but today is also Baptism Sunday. This is one of the highlights of our year. It's so much fun to gather together and celebrate people going all in with Jesus. And so I just am excited to experience this. I've had the privilege of of baptizing many of our people and uh, seeing them grow in their relationship with Christ. And there's nothing better uh, in, in ministry than a day like today. Again, there are directions just outside the door for you, so please plan to come. We invite everybody here uh, to come. And if you're watching in cyberspace because you didn't make it to church today, then uh, come and be a part. If you need to get a hold of us, we'll get you directions. Check us out on Facebook, whatever we need to do, and we'll get you there. Um, today we're starting a new series called Foundations. In Hebrews chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit begins to address the Christians in his day that, that he was communicating with, talking to. And the Christians in this book of Hebrews that he's writing to were not new believers. They were longtime believers. They were seasoned believers. And in Hebrews chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews, and we refer to him as that because we're not quite sure who wrote the book. Some say Paul, some say somebody else. But the writer of Hebrews is addressing these early Christians, and he tells them, you've been believers a long time, so long that many of you should already be teachers, that many of you should be seasoned in your relationship with God, mature in your relationship with God to the point that you are teaching other people. You should no longer be acting like students who don't know what you believe, don't know what you're doing, aren't sure about this walk of faith. You should be mentoring other people, discipling other people at this point in your Christian life. But they weren't teachers yet. They weren't there. And they weren't there because they had neglected some of the very foundational principles, the foundational beliefs of their Christian faith. And so it didn't quite make it from their brains into their everyday life. They, they were absent some of these very basic things. And so he begins in Hebrews chapter 6 to kind of talk to them about the foundation that should already be set for these believers. And we're going to begin reading in Hebrews chapter 6 verses 1 through 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. But in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, Here's what he says. He says, Let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds, placing our faith in God. You don't need a further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. Somebody say further understanding. Further understanding. So here he is addressing these believers, and he's, he's telling them, he's giving them this insight. How many of you know that God's will for you is for you to not stay the same? But he intends for you to grow. How many of you are gardeners? Any gardeners in here? Any green thumbs? I have a black thumb. Anything I plant dies. My, my wife has at least like a, like a purple thumb. There's some green in there, you know, and, and most of the things we plant, you know, that she plants goes okay. I have a hard time just getting grass to grow, believe it or not. 
But uh, if you think about planting a garden or planting grass, imagine if you, you prepared the soil, you threw the seed down, and you watered it and watered it and watered it, and nothing happened. You would think something was wrong, right? Well, the same is true for our spiritual lives. How many times do you get watered by the Word, watered by the Holy Spirit, and oftentimes nothing grows out of that? There is an expectation, but also a desire of the Father's heart is that you would receive further understanding, which means you continue to grow and and mature in your faith to the point that you get to the place where you're no longer the student, but the teacher, where you come to be encouraged, but you go out to make disciples, Where, where it's not just the pastor's job to win them, to teach them, to groom them, and to grow them. It's your job to teach them, to groom them, and to grow them, and gather them so that we can all encourage one another. There is a a process, a plan that God intends for us. And here in the book of Hebrews, he addresses some very basic fundamentals of the Christian faith, a common foundation or what should be common knowledge to every believer. And we recognize here at Vertical Life Church that everybody here is on a different place in their spiritual journey. Some of you have been believers for a very long time. I'm 37 years old. I've been a Christian since I was four. That means for 33 years, I've been a believer in Christ. Some of you have been believers longer than that. Some of you have just become believers. Some of you had a relationship with God and you walked away and you're just now finding your way back. We're all on a different place in our spiritual journey. And with that being said, sometimes it's easy to just assume a common knowledge or a common foundation. And often what happens is we neglect these truths and these principles, and we just try to go for the the meat. We try to find the deep things that God has for us, and we try to build a structure on a fractured or a faulty foundation. Because many of the, the, the places, the people that we encounter, some of you here today may even be in a place where you really need to focus on the very foundational elements of your faith before you can begin to grow or build a complex structure on top of it. It's my experience, and, and I've encountered it even uh, pastoring this church for five years now, that some of the areas we really struggle with are just the basic practical elements of our Christian faith. I mean, if we think about what God is calling us to do, he's calling us to be light into the world, right? We're to make an impact in our community, right? We're we're to share Jesus with the people we encounter. How can we share Jesus if we're afraid to testify in the church? How, How can we share out there if we're too afraid to share in here? How can we pray for healing? The Bible says they will lay their hands on the sick and they shall be healed. How can we lay hands on those that are sick and pray for healing if we're too afraid to pray out loud or pray for others here? Right, right. There, there are things, there are very practical, basic things of the Christian life that God intends to do miraculous things through us, but because we've neglected that practical, basic foundation, we, we're missing the ability for him to take us deeper. I would liken this to kind of this game that I would have my students play at Mott Community College when I taught a, a course there. We would uh, be working about teamwork and communication skills, and, and uh, we would have them play this game where I gave them 20 mini marshmallows and 20 raw spaghetti noodles. 
And I would tell them, in 20 minutes, you have to build the tallest freestanding structure you can build with just these elements. And at the end, once you build your structure, it has to hold a jumbo marshmallow on the top. And the tallest structure wins. And so we broke them up into teams, and we had them do this. And over the course of 20 minutes, I got to amuse myself at all the struggle and trial of people trying to figure out how to make something out of marshmallows and spaghetti. And, and it was always great that at the end of the 20 minutes, you had some people that were really cocky about their skills, their building skills. And when I gave them that big fat daddy marshmallow to put on top of their amazing structure, that, that, that Eiffel Tower began to kind of bend over and lean to the point that everything started breaking and crumble on down. And without fail, person after person, when they got the big marshmallow, their, a lot of their structures wouldn't hold. And it wasn't often the tallest structure that held. It was sometimes the smallest structure, but it was sturdy that were, was able to hold it. And the common denominator with the failure in this activity is that without a sturdy or a strong foundation, you cannot build a, a, a sturdy structure on top of it. And so our spiritual lives are often like that. And we try to go for the deep things and try to understand. I mean, there, there are popular subjects in the Bible like Revelation, end times revelation, and what's going to happen when Jesus comes back, and the rapture of the church, and all the different views. And that fascinates people, and we invest ourselves in that. But how does that help us live a God-glorifying life in the now? Right? We like these big concepts, but we miss on the things that God wants to do to bring our lives into agreement with his will for us and thus use us in a powerful way. So when our foundation gets neglected, it makes it hard to move forward. But in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12, here's what the writer of Hebrews says to this body of believers that should be further along than what they are. Beginning in verse 9, he says this, We are confident that you are meant for better things. Somebody say better things. We are confident that you are meant for better things that come with salvation. For God is not unjust. He'll not forget how hard you've worked for him and how you've shown him your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. Our great desire is that you'll keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that your hope will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Say dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example. This is practical living. Follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and their endurance. God wants to strengthen your foundation so that he can reveal to you the better things that come along with salvation. There are things that God wants to bring into your life that don't just constitute a free ticket to heaven. And that's how many of us live sometimes. We, we believe in Jesus, we come to church, and we live our lives as if our ticket to heaven is all there is to the Christian life. But there are better things that come with salvation. There are some good things that God wants to do in your life. And so as we go through this series, I believe the Spirit of God wants to strengthen our foundation. Why? So we don't become dull and indifferent, but we become even greater lights in our community and in our families. That the fire within us burns even hotter 
as we see the day of Christ approaching. And so in honor of uh, this special day today and the foundation, especially since he mentions it here in this passage, in today's Baptism Sunday, we're going to begin talking about baptism as part of the foundational faith element uh, to strengthen our foundation so that we don't just understand about what baptism is, but why it's important for every believer in Jesus Christ. And I don't want to be long today. I just want to hit a couple of important things. But uh, there, there are a couple of things we need to understand about baptism. Um, when I was young, I don't remember how old I was when I got baptized. I was saved when I was four years old. I think I was probably baptized around six or seven, somewhere around there. But I remember the day I was baptized. I was old enough to uh, kind of pack my own bag for, for uh, clothes to stay at my, my grandparents' house or a friend's house. And so when Baptism Sunday came along, my parents asked me to gather my change of clothes because back then we, we met in a church and they had a baptismal, a giant jacuzzi tub in the church, and, and uh, that's where we would get baptized. And so I had to bring a change of clothes so that when I got dunked, I could change back into dry clothes in order to uh, finish out the rest of the service for the rest of the day. And so I changed, all, I packed my bag, we got to church, we went through the service at the point where it was time for baptisms, I went and changed into my wet clothes and put on my white robe and I got baptized in the service and everything was going great. I mean, it was a great day. And then when I went back to the locker room or the bathroom to change back into my clothes, I discovered something that was kind of horrifying. I forgot another pair of underoos. I didn't remember to pack an extra pair of underwear. And here in my little child mind, I'm thinking, oh, this is a predicament. What do I do? I'm soaking wet. My underwear is soaking wet. And I didn't realize that it was okay to wear pants without underwear in a case like this. So I made the only decision my little mind could make as I put my nice khaki pants over on top of my soaking wet underwear put my dress shirt back on, and I walked out of the bathroom like nothing was going on. Nothing was wrong. And people started laughing at me. And my brother, of course, you know, really enjoyed the sight and was, you know, making fun of me. And I looked down, and my underwear had soaked through my pants. And you could see my, I probably Superman underwear back then was probably what it was, through my pants. So it wasn't one of my more dignified periods of time in my life, but I definitely remember the baptism that I received. But the thing about baptism, and so here's just a little advice. If you're getting baptized today, pack extra underwear. If you weren't planning on getting baptized and you feel moved to God to do that, you'll have time to go home and get extra pair of underwear before you come out to the pond. So there's my uh, little advice for you today. But there are many beliefs about baptism, and there are many practices For baptism. Here at Vertical Life Church, we don't baptize infants. We don't baptize babies. The reason why is because we want to be as close to the biblical narrative as we can be, and there's not a single place in all the Bible where you see an infant being baptized. And where that baptism, that that idea comes from was during church history, after the disciples were kind of dying off and Jesus had already resurrected and gone to heaven, as church history began to progress further and further away from the original apostles, questions started coming up like, what do we do if a child dies before they're able to accept Christ? And so as an attempt to circumvent 
a premature death and a judgment on a child, an innocent child, to an eternity of hell. The thought process was, well, we'll just baptize them, and that will seal them so that they can go to heaven because they didn't have an opportunity. That's not found anywhere in the Bible, but it became a practice born out of tradition. As well as some people will, rather than immersing into water, they'll pour water over somebody's head. Again, the actual word baptize comes from a Greek word that means to immerse. So if we're looking at just what the Bible says, we believe that the practice of baptism is immersion into water, because that's what the word means. And it comes not before someone makes a profession of faith in Jesus, but after someone makes a profession of faith in Jesus. So we call this believer's baptism. And we believe that this is the closest to the biblical description of what baptism is. So that's the manner of which we baptize and why we baptize that way. But more than just how we baptize, baptism has a spiritual significance. So the first point I want to touch on today is that baptism is a physical process with a spiritual significance. It is a physical process. It's a physical thing we do, but there's a spiritual reason behind it. But baptism was actually not unique to Christianity. You know, right? The, Jesus didn't just show up and start baptizing people. This, John the Baptist was a Jewish prophet who was baptizing before Jesus was ever on the scene. And this goes far back, hundreds of years before when the law of Moses was given to Moses on Mount Sinai through God. In the law of Moses, there are many different practices and rituals that they had to do to make somebody no longer ceremonially unclean. They, they had different descriptions of what made a person clean or unclean. And there might be a cause for a sacrifice to make somebody clean again. And in the case of a leper or somebody with a physical skin condition, not only would a sacrifice have to be offered, but they would also have to go through a ritual of cleaning, which included baptism. And it was pretty uh, awesome. In, uh, in online, I found an article from the Jewish Theological Seminary that kind of notes on the spiritual significance of what baptism meant to the Jewish mind back when the law was given. But in Hebrews chapter 9 and chapter 10, we read in the Bible that everything God gave Moses and everything we read in the Old Testament was a shadow of or a picture of something to come later. So everything we read about that happens in the Old Testament was a picture of what Jesus would fulfill or institute in the New Testament. And so as we look at baptism in the Old Testament, we can see the spiritual significance of it in the New Testament. Um, the, the writer, Melissa Crespi from the Jewish Theological Seminary, writes this about the baptism of making a leper clean again from being unclean. She says... It was a detailed ritual involving animal sacrifices, the shaving of body hair, sprinkling of blood and oil, and the immersion of the person in water. At certain points in the purification ritual, the blood and then the oil is placed on the right ear, the thumb of the right hand, and the big toe of the right foot of the person to be purified. The bathing symbolized rebirth and recreation. The experience of illness and recovery made the leper a new person. That is, someone who now looked at life differently. And she comments that she imagined if she survived a life-threatening illness, she would be viewing life very differently and would want a ceremony to mark that positive change in her life. 
What's interesting about this understanding is she's still looking at the, the process of baptism through a Jewish mindset, which is where we got the Old Testament, is from the, the Israelites. And what's cool about this, and what I love seeing here, is you can see the symbolism of salvation and new life all throughout the process that she describes. If we look at the process, which you can research later in Leviticus chapter 14, and if we look at this not as a requirement of the law, but a picture of a future spiritual reality, we see all the elements of becoming born again in this particular passage. Uh, think about this. The leper, the leprosy was a horrendous, horrific illness. Uh, your skin literally just fell off. It, it, it died, and your body just falls apart. It's, it's horrific what happens to a person. But every once in a while, somebody would just become healed. They would, they would survive it. They would get through it. They'd be horrifically scarred, but that would no longer be in their body. And in the case of, of leprosy, once they were healed, they would have to go through the ritual to be determined to be clean. But the leper signifies a person who is hopelessly doomed because in most cases, leprosy was a death sentence. Unless God intervened and brought healing to the leper, they would eventually die. Just like you and I were dead in our sins. We were dead, hopelessly lost, not able to find salvation or become pure and clean on our own. God had to intervene in our lives in order for us to have a shot at being healed. So thank God he sent Jesus Christ to come and die in our place. Because now those who were hopelessly lost have a chance to be healed. Isaiah 53 says, by his stripes we are healed. So God intervenes in our lives, just like you and I were dead in our sins. God heals the leper, just as Jesus healed us through his death. But then it says the priest would apply blood of the sacrifice. So the sacrifice is given, like Jesus is our sacrifice. And then the blood was applied to the earlobe, to the thumb on the right hand, and to the big toe. It's kind of weird. But if you think about it, the minute we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, his blood is applied to us from head to toe, cleansing us of all sin. So powerful to think about the symbolism that God was communicating long before Jesus ever came. Not only was blood applied to him, but also oil. Oil represents the Holy Spirit. And so oil is placed upon the body, the head. And they're anointed with oil, just like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then finally, in this ritual, they were immersed in water. And she says when they come out of the water, they consider themselves recreated or reborn. And all believers, the old has passed, all have become new. We've become new what? Creations in Christ Jesus. You've become something entirely new when you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So this is a beautiful picture of what baptism is. And not only is baptism a picture of redemption, of going from being unclean to clean, but it was also for the believer in Christ, a public confession that you are now united with Jesus Christ, that you're giving up your old way of living and going all in with Jesus. It was a public declaration that you were now a child of God. And it also welcomed you into the community of faith that, that the body of believers that we call the church. In the Old Testament, whenever the leper was 
baptized and they became clean, they would then be restored back to the community of the Jewish people. Because as an unclean person, they were kicked out of the city. They weren't even allowed to come around other people. They were completely exiled from the community. But when they become clean, they're brought back in. Just as you and I, when we give our lives to Christ and we come out of the baptismal waters, we are welcomed into the family of God and become part of the family. In Matthew 10, 32, Jesus says something specific. He says, everyone that acknowledges me publicly on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Well, that's pretty important, right? Right, I, I want to be a person who Jesus says, yeah, he belongs to me before the Father. There'll be a day we all stand before God. And so when I stand before God, I want Jesus to claim me. And here Jesus says, if you claim me on earth, I'm going to claim you in heaven. And how do we publicly claim Jesus on earth? We do it through baptism. We do it by publicly proclaiming we have given ourselves to Jesus, and we are now identifying ourselves with them. And not only are we claiming Christ, but we're showing the world that we are now set free to live a new life. And so baptism has a deep spiritual significance, that we were dead in our sins, but now we're alive again through Jesus Christ. And the, the sacrifices of the Old Testament, they were temporary. They could only cleanse the outward part of the body. But through Christ and through baptism, we are cleansed both externally and internally, making us completely right with God. Not just temporarily clean, but holistically clean. It's amazing. It's amazing. The second point I want to look at is that baptism also prepares you for the spirit-filled life. Baptism prepares you to become who God intended for you to be, to reach your fullest potential in Jesus Christ. In Matthew 28, verse 19, this is called the Great Commission. This is the final instructions that Jesus gives his disciples before he ascends to heaven. He says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a mission statement here at Vertical Life Church, and it's basically a restatement of this very verse. We say it a little differently. We say it like this, that we exist to engage people where they are and lead them to becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. This is our mission. And it's not just my mission or, or hopefully through what we do here, it'll just happen. This is each individual person who is a child of God. This is your mission. Your mission is to engage people, lead them to become followers of Christ, and then raise them up as disciples. And here Jesus says, not only do we make disciples, but we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What I want to point out here is that Jesus gives us three names to baptize, Father, Son, and Spirit. There are three names, but there is one God. There are also three baptisms with one baptism. There are also three elements within one baptism. Baptism is not complete. Your baptism isn't complete until you've been baptized in the blood, which happens at salvation. When you're baptized in the water, when you're water baptized, and then when you're baptized in the Spirit, when you're anointed with the power to be the witness of God. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You want to know why many people struggle with being a witness for Christ? It's because they don't have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. 
You might have been a Christian your whole life. You might have been water baptized, but there's an element that you're missing, which is the anointing of the presence of God in your life. Again, I, I said earlier, I've been a believer almost my whole life. I was baptized when I was a child, but it really wasn't until just a couple of years ago that my entire relationship with Christ changed. It flipped on its head. I've been seeking more, I've been desired more, I wanted to give God my life, but there were struggles in my life I couldn't overcome. There, were, there, were, there seemed to be something that I knew I needed, but I just didn't know what it was. And finally, God opened a door for me to discover it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It was the presence of God in my life. And I remember in my, my living room, I was, I was praying to God, just crying out in desperation. And I remember him telling me, the Spirit of God spoke to me. He told me to, to kneel down on the ground. So I knelt down, and I, to this day, I, I, I would argue this for anyone. Jesus came into the room. I could feel the impressions on the back of the carpet, back behind me. I felt his hand lay on my back, and it, like all the pain that I had been wrestling with my whole life just came out in an instance, and I knew something was different. And I began to experience the gifts of the Spirit. I began to speak in tongues. I began to get words of knowledge and prophesy and experience the very things that the Bible talks about. And it has changed my ability to witness to people. It's been a complete game changer. I was just at Menards yesterday, and I was being helped. I was looking for some stakes for our tent, for our baptism. And I was talking to the worker there, and God told me, he said, this guy likes poetry. And so I uh, just mentioned it to him. It's like, how long have you been into poetry? And he's like, what? And, and granted, this is a, a black dude in Clio at Menards, you know. And I'm like, yeah, how long, you been, how long have you liked poetry? And he's like, dude, I do spoken word, which is like poetry, and I, and I do music and stuff. It's like, how do you know I like poetry? You know, you know like that. And it's like, God told me. He's like, what? man, that's freaking me out, you know. And I said, and he was also telling me, you have issues with your knees. And he's like, how, how did you know that? And he said, I busted my, my right knee doing something stupid, but my left knee has been bothered me. And I had an opportunity to just sit there and pray for his knees, pray to be healed and just minister to him. And he was a believer, but this is just things that are happening on a regular basis. This is a normal Christian life. When you hear from God and step out, you see miracles happen. He works and speaks and moves. This should be normal for every person. It's not just for the pastor or select individuals. Paul or uh, Peter quotes the prophet Joel in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit of God is poured out. And he said, in the last days, I will pour my Spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men and old men, maids and maidservants alike will prophesy. They'll see visions of they'll dream dreams. God desires a supernatural life for you, and it comes when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Each baptism that you experience leads you to becoming fully prepared and to reach your fullest potential in Christ Jesus. So the completion of the triune baptism happens when you're born again. It's when you're baptized in the blood of Christ. When you're water baptized, united in Christ and cleansed and prepared for the Spirit-filled life, and then you're immersed in the Holy Spirit, receiving the anointing and the power of the Spirit. So believers enter baptism. They walk through the cleansing waters to prepare themselves to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
And I know uh, some of you might be scholars in here. You're well-read, well-studied. You could point to the book of Acts where Peter goes to preach at the house of Cornelius. And in the house of Cornelius, Peter, Peter he's preaching this awesome message. And before he gets to the altar call, the, the invitation, before the music plays at the end, the Spirit descends on all those believers and they're empowered and they hadn't even been baptized yet. And so many will point to that passage of Scripture and they'll say, well, you know, it, they weren't baptized and they received the baptism of the Spirit. Why do I need to be water baptized at all if I could receive the Spirit prior to? Or, or why do you say that water baptism prepares you for a Spirit-filled life if you can be baptized in the Spirit before water baptism? And, and I would say I do agree that they were baptized prior to water baptism. And I would say two things to that passage of Scripture. Number one, God can do whatever He wants. God can do whatever He wants. We like religion. Human beings like religion. We like, give me a checklist so I can check out. I'll get this stuff done, and then I can check out and not worry about it. It's a lot harder, it's a lot messier to stay engaged and stay involved and to continue to trust whenever you don't really know what God's going to do, right? And so God can do whatever he wants. But the simplicity of what I'm describing is a picture of complete baptism. It's what each element represents. But in the story of Cornelius in the book of Acts, Jesus had to give Peter, put Peter in a trance, had to show him a vision, give him divine revelation just to get him interested enough to go to Cornelius' house to preach. Peter didn't want to. You know why? Because Peter was a Jew, Cornelius was a Gentile, and Jews hated Gentiles. They considered them unclean. Peter would not have even gone to the man's house because it was considered socially unacceptable. So God had to intervene in Peter's life in order to get him even to go there to preach, to lead these people to Christ. And so I believe that God released the Holy Spirit because if he hadn't, the disciples who were Jewish would have come up with an infinite number of reasons why these unclean Gentiles were not permitted to be a part of the church. We see this even today where, you know, we have different issues between white people having church with black people and different types of uh, divisions within the church. We have a tendency to hold on to our social norms and, our, and resist our taboos. And here, God pours out his spirit on the house of Cornelius to show the disciples, look, there's nothing that you can say that will, that will prove that these people aren't a part of the church. They're a part of the church. You need to accept them. And they were bewildered that God even did that, that the Spirit was poured out before baptism. And so at the end of the passage, they talk amongst themselves. They're like, is there anything that we can put before them that would prevent them from being baptized? And they're like, they have the Spirit. Let's get them baptized. So they baptized them, and they all became part of the church together. So for the most part, what we see, even though God can do what he wants, he can put everything out of order. He wants to. He gives visions and dreams to people who aren't even Christians. There are many times in the Old Testament that he would give kings or other people of importance dreams and visions that usually would only come to a prophet. God can do what he wants. But for the most part, the picture we see in Scripture is that a person becomes born again when they give their life to Christ. They're baptized in the blood of Jesus. They're purified and prepared for the Spirit-filled life when they go through the baptism of water. And then they're empowered for the Spirit-filled life when they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Every person who calls on the name of the Lord, who desires to grow in intimacy with the Lord, 
and in faith as they follow the Spirit should seek and go through all three baptisms. And I believe that this is true for every one of us because of what the writer of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 6, 9. He says, we are confident that you are meant for better things that come with salvation. Did you know that there are better things that come with salvation? God's not just having you wait for those better things when you get to heaven. He desires better for you now. The prophet Jeremiah says, I know the plans I have for you. They're good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Jesus in John 10.10 says, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Salvation is just the beginning of what God's prepared for his people. God desires better things for you. And I believe that if you want more of God, if you want to experience more of God in your life, maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God and you want to begin a relationship with God. The pathway to more begins at repenting of your sins and turning to Christ in faith for salvation, being baptized in the blood of Jesus. Then your next step is water baptism. Unite in the death and resurrection of Christ. Become a new creation. Proclaim to the world that you are the Lord's. And then finally, seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Receive the power to become a witness for Christ. You know, maybe you've been saved for a long time, and I would ask you, what's better? What's better than the power and presence of God in your life? What's better than knowing the Lord, hearing his voice, seeing him move, watching miracles happen, being used to connect people to the Father's heart? I've never had a more exciting Christian faith in a Christian life than I have in the last couple years. And I put it all to the final baptism. So I think of it like this. If you think about water baptism this way, maybe you're, you've been saved for a long time, you've never been baptized, and, or maybe you've just been saved recently and you need to be baptized and you haven't been baptized yet and you're trying to figure out all the different reasons why you don't need to be baptized. I, I like to think of it like this and we'll, we'll close. If you were to take your car to a car wash and you were to pay for the car wash or maybe somebody gives you a certificate for the car wash, that gives you the right to a clean car. No one can take that away from you. You paid for it. It's paid for. The only way you can receive the benefits of a clean car is to go through the cleansing process of the wash. You might have the right to the clean car, but unless you go through the cleansing process, you're not going to be able to experience the benefits of a clean car on the other side. The same is true for your relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus paid the price. He gave you the certificate. Salvation is yours. No one can take that away from you. The Bible says that no one can pluck you out of the Father's hand. You are secure in Christ. But if you want to enjoy the benefits of that relationship here on the earth, you got to go through the cleansing process. you got to take the next step and go through the water, the baptismal waters. And then take a step after that. Seek the presence of the Holy Spirit. When your baptism is complete, you'll have everything you need to live the overcoming life and to become everything God intended for you to be. And imagine the miracles that would happen with a spirit-filled church where every person filled with the presence of God is unleashed into the city. Imagine the miracles that could happen in your own relationships, in your own life, when you know God is steering the ship and it's not just on you and your own power. I believe that God has more for you. And maybe you're here today and you know that you need to be baptized. 
in just a moment when we pray. We're going to have a time of response and testimony. If God's done something in your life this week, you want to share to encourage the church. Maybe you need to come forward and pray for something that's on your heart. As we pray, I'm going to invite you to come forward and just let me know. Like, I need to be baptized, and we'll get you on the list. We have two that are scheduled to be baptized today. We'll baptize more. We'll baptize as many that needs to. But I pray that you obey what God is putting on your heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for just a celebration of what God is doing and what you're doing in us and what you're doing in the lives of people who call Vertical Life Church home. I pray now, Lord, that uh, you would draw every heart, everyone here that needs to take a next step. Lord, I pray that you'd firm up in our hearts, Lord, this foundational belief, this understanding of what baptism is, that we wouldn't neglect it, that we wouldn't consider it unnecessary for our lives. Jesus, you commanded that we do this, and you did it not to place rules or regulations over us to keep us at a distance, but you did it to draw us close, to prepare us, to equip us for the very life that you've called us to live. God, I know that you have good things for us, and I just pray now in the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, that you would draw every heart. You begin to work and move, and I pray that you would lay on any heart here today, Lord, any heavy heart that is struggling, that is in need. God, that they would come and that together, Lord, we would call on heaven to release the power of the Holy Spirit into their lives. We just pray this in Jesus' name.